About the year 2001, I was a senior in UNC Asheville in college, and I was really into this worship leader named Daryl Evans. He was a pretty well-known guy at the time. And I, I was not, um, at this point, I was still kind of a young Christian, and, uh, but I, was, I loved this album he made. It was called Freedom. And so I listened to it all the time in my car. Well, then one day a friend of mine, another Christian friend of mine said, hey, uh, Daryl Evans is playing a show in Gatlinburg. So if you've been to Gatlinburg, you know it's got this sort of Myrtle Beachy kind of feel uh, in the mountains. And uh, it's a great, it was great, great town. But, um, and so we went to Gatlinburg to see Daryl Evans. He's playing at this like youth conference thing in a conference center. So um, we just kind of sort of on a whim, you know, college students, like, let's get in a car, let's just go. So two other friends and I, we drove to Gatlinburg. We get to this convention center and there's probably about, you know, 3,000 people there. It's a pretty large room. And um, he proceeded to play like one of the best mixes of art and, and, and Holy Spirit, really, I'd ever experienced in my life. Like I've never been to a Christian concert before at this point in my life. And uh, these guys were just on fire. Like I'd never heard a band that sounded so tight and the spirit of God was just moving in ways I'd never experienced before in this, in this, this convention center. And uh, so it just completely blew me away. And uh, I, when it was over, I thought, well, that was great. You know, let's, let's, it's uh, time to go, you know. And, but I remember, I remember while we were driving to Gatlinburg, a fr- the, one of my friends in the front seat, she started praying and she was like, let's, let's pray. Let's, let's, let's pray for God to really meet us in this, this concert, you know. So um, Nikki prayed, and we prayed in the car, and the, the Steve, the driver, prayed with his eyes open. He prayed while he was driving. And so I remembered that. And then as we get to the show, and it's really good, and, and it's over, um, and of course there has to be a speaker, there has to be a preacher of some kind, and this guy walks out on the stage, and he stands there, and he doesn't say anything. And he says, he said, the Holy Spirit is hovering over this room right now and he's going to fall on us right now okay now I'm a good Methodist boy my whole life I've I've grown up in pews and hymnals Baptist churches too uh so before I can even think twice about what this guy is saying um literally the whole room falls down I've never experienced this in my life until you've encountered this sort of move of the Holy Spirit um you maybe think eh but until you're actually in the room, the words don't express really what this is like. And it's not emotionalism. It's not all hype. It's not manufactured. What happened? We, literally, the power of God fell upon all the people in the room. And it, but it, it was good. It, the presence of God was so good, you had to shout or laugh or cry. Uh, it was unbelievable. It was overwhelming, the presence of God in that place. It felt like, it did feel like fire. And, and I don't know how, how long it lasted, but eventually it was over. And we went out into the street and we went to go get some food. And, but we were just so fired up with the presence of God. We were just overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And this, this teenager walks up to us and he says, hey, hey, man, do you have a lighter? And I thought, oh, man, you just asked the wrong people for a lighter. Um, and my friend Steve said, hey, do you, do you know Jesus, Right? And the guy rolls his eyes at us and, 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 and walks away. Um, but we were just so full of the Spirit. We had to share with those around us. 
And, and so it was like a Pentecost moment. It was a reminder that Pentecost is not something that just was in the past and it's over with, but that God still does this type of work through the Holy Spirit today. And look at these words of Jesus in Luke 24. He reminds the disciples, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 5 John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses. Then in Acts chapter 2, Peter uh, gives this incredible sermon in the streets of Jerusalem. And he says, this Jesus that God raised up, and all of us are witnesses. He was therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, that they're encountering the power of the Spirit. And Peter is explaining what is happening to those who maybe don't believe or understand. Because many people today look at the church, they look at Christianity in general, and they, they, they say, so what? Where's the, where's the proof, right? Where's the power? What difference does this make? I know Christians, they don't seem any different than me. So why should I even care? It's a good question. It's a valid point. But the real, the answer is, is that you can know a difference. There is a difference. There is proof of the power of God, the, the spirit of Christ indwelling us as temples of the Holy Spirit. That we can, we can know the power of the spirit by faith. And that the spirit of God, the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of holiness, as Paul said, it's no longer I, but Christ in me. That we are just jars of clay to show that this power we have, it's not from us, but it's from God. See, as we'll see today, that we can't manufacture our own Pentecost. That it doesn't work that way. That's God who does it. It falls like rain, but prayer does precede Pentecost. Preparation does precede Pentecost. Prayer precedes it, and then God does it. But human ambition, ability, that doesn't, that it doesn't precede Pentecost, but prayer does, and then God does it. But it's not, it's not emotionalism. It's not man-made hype. I had a friend who... Uh, attended a large non-denominational church uh, in the triad area. And I used to, I've worked in churches like this over the years too. And it was very hipster, it was very cool. It was just all this pressure to be kind of hyped up and, 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 and emotional all the time. And my, my, this, this friend of mine, he was a leader in this church. He was an elder in this church. And he said, one day I came into worship and I just didn't feel... I just didn't feel like it, you know, and that's, that's valid, that's good. Like sometimes you just don't feel, you know, we feel broken, we feel tired, you know. You don't want to be pressured to be something you're not. And the other elders were like, what's wrong, man? Why aren't you getting pumped up? Why aren't you fired up about this, you know? And my friend said, I just, I knew this was the wrong church for me because it just didn't feel right. The spirit wasn't leading it. It was men pressuring us to be inauthentic, and, and people today can smell inauthenticity. We can know when there's 
when things aren't really being led by God, but being manufactured by smoke machines and laser beams and all this hype. And that, that, those, those tools are well and good. But without the Spirit of God leading it, we, we can quickly get to a place in worship where we crowd God out of it. And it becomes more about us. And as we'll see Pentecost and Pentecost experiences, it's God that does it. And that, that our prayers, though, do precede those Pentecost moments. As we saw in the video earlier, that sort of just retells the Pentecost story, that God sends power from on high. And Jesus told them it would be power. And the word for power there is dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite. This was the best way they could describe what they were experiencing, this unbelievable power that would come upon them and set them on fire to go out into the world that's still available to us today. In Acts chapter 5, the, the council of religious leaders that called the Sanhedrin of, of Jewish leaders that were trying to figure out what do we do with these fired up um, Jesus followers? How do we shut them up? And they were thinking about killing them. And a wise leader named um, Gamaliel, he said this, he said, so in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. And he's very wise. He's saying if men are just doing this, it won't last. Because we're just jars of clay. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. See, prayer preceded this Pentecost moment. If it was just man-made, it wouldn't last. But if God does it, if the Spirit leads it, you can't stop it. Nothing can stop it. Prayer precedes the Pentecost, and then God does it. So I wanted to research this week how many days were there after the ascension of Jesus and then this Pentecost moment? How long was the span of time? And it turns out it was 10 days, 10 days that Jesus goes up into heaven and says, I'm sending you power, hang on. 10 days go by, week and a half. It's kind of a long time. And, but they were set apart for this time period in what we call the upper room, waiting, expecting, praying, waiting. They didn't say to each other, hey bro, text me when the power comes and I'll show up. Let me know when the dunamis shows up and everybody blows up in the power of the Holy Spirit and then I'll be there. No, they waited, they prayed, they expected. See, they were devoted to these promises that Jesus made. The Spirit of God does not fall on them by accident. And nor does the Spirit of God come based on their own timing or plans. But he did come. And the Spirit of God is available to us today if we will pray and wait and expect great things from God again. Be reminded of these words from Acts 
chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. Violent wind. And Jesus said the Spirit of God is like the wind. You don't know where it came from or where it goes. But when it does come, you know when the Holy Spirit shows up. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire. That's the best they could do to describe it. It's like that. Appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. What a beautiful picture that the Spirit of God unites people. Of all ethnicities and nationalities. Breaks down all those divisions. And unites the people of God into one people. People that were praying for 10 days, waiting. See, I'm sure by day eight or nine, they were thinking, is this really going to happen, Jesus? They probably felt the temptation, maybe I should get back to my normal life. To get back to what, I got to go take the dog out. I should probably go mow the yard. But no, they didn't. They, they kept on and pressed in and waited for this power to come from on high. And their prayers probably weren't polite prayers. They were probably prayers of desperation, of groaning, of, of ex- expectation. And in our Wesleyan history, there is such a track record of these Pentecost moments, really, if you read John Wesley's journals, he's, he tells of one time that he was having a prayer meeting with other people, and they prayed into the night for hours. And then he said at about 2 a.m., a great wind came against the building they were in, and it shook the foundations of the building. And they all fell on the ground and began to, to, to weep and, and, and laugh and shout. Methodists have been called shouting Methodists, up until about 100 years ago. And, and out of the Methodist movement was birthed what's known as the modern Pentecostal movement. This is our heritage as Methodists of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. In the year 1800, a great revival swept across the Northeast and much of the then United States. And our first bishop of the Methodist Church, Francis Asbury, um, wrote about this in his journal where this revival started in Western Maryland and it spread throughout Pennsylvania and New York, went down to Virginia, and eventually would encompass all of the then United States. And from the year 1800 to 1810, the Methodist church would triple in size. How is that possible? Human ambition? Programming? No. The Spirit of God moved across people's lives. Life by life, revival begins life by life, prayer by prayer. And the prayers preceded the move of God. Prayer is like laying the rails and the locomotive of the Holy Spirit comes. And Francis Asbury wrote in his journal in the year 1800, he said, This revival along the western shore of Maryland and elsewhere was exactly what I have been agonizing for for many years. See, it's through the prayers of righteous people 
that God brings the Holy Spirit in these sort of incredible, miraculous ways. So if you have been praying for this, do not give up hope. Keep leaning in and trusting in the promises of God that he can and will and must do it again. We need this. We need the power of God in our nation again. And we need to be praying for this move of God across the United States again. See, I want an experience like that. And I have experienced that by the grace of God. And I want to see it happen again, don't you? I know you do. We need to pray for it to happen again. This, this, this place of expectant prayer, groaning. Asbury said this as well, that prayer is the sword of the preacher, the life of the Christian, the terror of hell, and the devil's plague. So the Holy Spirit can move in these ways that are fantastic and miraculous and powerful. But the Spirit of God also can move in a way that's very still and quiet and brings an, 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 an otherworldly peace, if you will. In the great Welsh revival in the nation of Wales in the early 20th century, a lot of their meetings, their church meetings, their prayer meetings, were marked by, as was written, great periods of silence. There was no program. There was hardly any sermon. The people would be gathered in a church and there would be, and the spirit of God would simply lead the meetings. The spirit would bring conviction of sin on the people's lives. Spontaneous worship and songs would come and the people would just start to sing and the spirit would lead. But people, in order for this to happen, we have to be comfortable with waiting. We have to be a bit, have a bit more appetite for silence. Because when we're silent, we're trusting. When we're silent before the Lord, we become more aware of our own in, insufficiencies, of our, our idols that we're worshiping and maybe we didn't know it, of our self-obsessions. And when we're silent before the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord will lay those things bare and lead us into confession because he's holy. And where his holiness is, unholiness gets driven out. And when we confess of our sin, in that, in that there can be a peace that God brings. You see, in many times where the presence of the Lord is so powerful, he's the prince of peace. And there's an otherworldly stillness when God is close. But throughout our history, there is a great revival in Asbury College in 1970 through the Toronto revival of 1994, Azusa Street, Wales, all these things. Prayers preceded the Pentecost. Prayers. See, people weren't binge-watching Netflix. They weren't staring at their phones as much as I do these things as well. But they were praying. They were waiting. And they were expecting Prayer preceded. They were waiting on God to come and be God. And when we do that, he will do great things in our midst. But we must regain our appetite for silence, for waiting, for prayer. We must regain maybe a bit of our attention span because we live in a very scrollable culture with our phones. Did you know that in the year 2000, the average attention span 
for an American was 12 seconds. And now, in the year 2020, the average attention span is eight seconds. This is apparently the attention span of a goldfish. So a goldfish brain is about the size of a peanut. Um, and our attention span is eight seconds. You're probably tuning me out right now while I'm talking about attention spans. I'd do the same thing if I was listening to a preacher too. But it's not, it's not that there's an attention span. It's more of an attention window or filter. In the modern mind, if you grab someone's attention in those eight seconds, people will dive in and engage with content for hours and hours on end. But we have about eight seconds now. And as the years go on, that might continue to shrink somehow. And we'll have the attention span of a chipmunk or a fly. I have no idea. But if you're listening and watching for these eight seconds right now, don't scroll on by, but stop. Kneel. Pray. Repent. Our nation needs God. You need God. I need God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. As Psalm 145 reminds us, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry. He saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. The great Methodist missionary to India, Stanley Jones, said, unless the Holy Spirit fills, the human spirit will fail. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit by faith. We do it by faith. It's all the work of God. But our prayer and our faith are important. They precede this work that he does. In the same way, in the United Methodist Church, if we are not committed to see another move of God, another awakening, prayers preceding another Pentecost, if we don't do this, we will become just another religious monument of the past. I started attending annual conferences in our Western North Carolina conference in about the year 2012. And if you go to an annual conference at Lake Junaluska, they give you a big book uh, with all the things that are happening and details about meetings and, and worship services. And one point of the annual conference, they do um, announce what churches are closing. In the year 2012, I, I, don't, I think there was maybe one. There was very few, zero. But as every year that I've gone, that number of closing churches has increased. To this past year, I believe it was at least 25 were closing across our annual conference. And that maybe there's lots of reasons for that. Lots of prayerful, sweet Christian people were keeping those churches together until the very end. But I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to see churches close. And I'm sure you don't either. No one does. But here we are. We can't program our way out of what we're in. We can't manufacture another Pentecost. God doesn't fail us, but we do. God sends the power if we will pray and we will wait and we will obey. He will do it but we must pray because I want to build the church and I know you do too because I want to be a part of a movement and not a monument. I love looking at the foundation stones of churches. If you go to 
lots of churches, right? You'll see like when they built the church and the, the cornerstone and they'll inscribe the year of that church. And so many churches were built in the 1950s and 60s especially, just explosion of church growth across our country or older. And then as the decades go on, you see those numbers not be quite as much in the past many years. But I think about these people that built those churches, that they had a God-sized dream. And they said, let's get together our money and our time and our resources and our energy, right? It's incredible. And they built a church. How exciting would that be to be a part of something like that? That so many of us now, it's a foreign experience. We've never done it. And think of the faith of the people who built this beautiful church, Wesley Memorial. This is the last neo-Gothic cathedral built in the southeast, finished in 1968. It took years and years just to build the sanctuary. Our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers and our grandmothers, all of our forefathers, these were people who had a God-sized dream. And they wanted to be a part of a movement of God. They weren't building monuments to the past. They were praying and working to see God move now and in the future. Pentecost Sunday is not another day just to look in the past and go, oh, well, that must have been nice for them. That can't happen now. Why not? Let us not let Pentecost become a monument that we pine for, but it'll never happen. Because movements can turn into monuments if you let them. But we don't have to let that happen. Because God is still God. He does not change. And prayer precedes Pentecost. You and I have another opportunity to be a part of a great move of God. That God is going to bring in the United States in the years to come. If we will wait. If we will pray. If we will obey. And listen. And stop taking part in unholy things and become a holy set-apart people. If we will hold every thought captive and hunger and thirst for righteousness and don't live like the world and lust after things, but instead be filled with the Spirit, life by life, it will happen. As the altars of our hearts are tipped over into the altars of our homes and the altars of our communities and we intercede over our cities and our schools and our families, God will do it again. And that's why this Tuesday at 7, we're going to start, as I said, a Zoom prayer meeting that anyone can come and join. It's simply a time to pray. And then when we do again one day meet in person, we will continue to pray and wait on God to bring his power, to lead us in this way. So as I close, I invite you to take a posture of prayer wherever you are right now, except if you're driving. That's probably not a good idea. But if you can kneel where you are, go ahead and kneel. If you can clasp your hands, do that. We have to pray. We need the power of God now more than ever before. I don't have to convince you, if you're religious or otherwise, that we are a people that are broken. We can't do it. 
But as 2 Chronicles says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, I will come down. If we will humble ourselves and seek his face, I will come down and hear their prayers and heal them and bless their land. This promise stands from 2 Chronicles and now. Let us pray. Not just at the end of this service, but pray each day, y'all. I know you are, and I'm thankful. Let me pray for you. Lord God, on this Pentecost Sunday, we ask you, God, to do it again. That we would keep praying and knocking and seeking and laying hold of your promises until you do it again. And you are. You're tilling the soil, I believe, even now for another move of your hand across our nation. God, forgive us for the ways that we don't maybe want to repent. We don't think we need to. God, we all stand in need of grace. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to you, there is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That we are one in your spirit. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. By faith, we can receive your spirit to indwell us. Help us set aside things that are sinful. Put our eyes on you, God. Make us a holy people, filled with holy love, just like you. Lead us, God, in the weeks and months to come to be a people of prayer. Holy Spirit, fall upon each person. Give them a burden for prayer. Prayer over their city and family and friends. Let us pray like never before to see you move across our nation again, God. 